0: We continue in our series with Jesus, and uh, last week we looked at the woman in Samaria, at the well, and we found a desperate woman who met a compassionate Jesus. A compassionate Jesus. Jesus meets us right in those places of brokenness. One of the things we said last week is, um, if we don't become pathetic, internally, spiritually, feel our need, we really won't meet Jesus. To know Jesus is to need Jesus. To believe in Jesus is to need Jesus. Personally feeling that need. And so this week, we continue in this story, the second half of this story. And so now she's seen that Jesus has confronted her. He's called called out. He's pointed out some of the, the darkest secrets of her life. And now, how is she going to respond to this? And so let's look at John chapter 4, verses 27 through 42. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or, why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this, would you come by your spirit and would you show us how wonderful you are? Would you show us how powerful you are? Would you show us how real you are? Would you bring faith where there is doubt? Would you bring hope where there is despair? Would you bring forgiveness and cleansing where there is guilt and shame? We know that you alone can do it. So we ask, I ask, as the one preaching who needs the sermon as much as he, as anyone else. And so I ask that you would bless our time together in Jesus' name, amen. This is quite a scene. It's like he's caused a stir. And he does something for us. He tells us why he's doing all of this. He says it's because it's the will of God. I'm doing the will of God. Another way to translate that word, the will of God, is desire. That's actually another translation, the desire of God. That's a little less sterile, isn't it? The will, that can be sort of, we can sort of have you know, conversations about the will of God. Let's talk about the will of God, the hidden will of God, the revealed will of God. There's all these different theological, but you can't do that with desire. God's desire is for this woman to come to know him. His desire is why Jesus Christ came into this world. His will, his desire is for everyone to know his love. That's his His desire. Have you ever thought about God having desire? And that whatever he desires, he accomplishes. His desire for you. His desire, his will was so powerful in the life of Jesus Christ, the, the will of the Father through the work of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came to a place in his life in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night in which he was betrayed, that he came unglued because what he was about to face the suffering, the wrath of God. Like from Psalm 78, the cup of wrath, he was going to drink it to the dregs. And it was so overwhelming that he sweat blood. That actually, the stress was so great, that actually happened, that can happen to someone under great physical or emotional stress. The, The capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture And Jesus says, if it be your will, will you take this cup from me? And he asked, will you take it from me? Multiple times, will you take this from me? But then he says this, not my will, but your will be done. God's desire is so powerful that it took Jesus apart. Jesus Christ wanted to so fulfill the desire of God that he sweat blood, that he actually bled out on a hill outside Jerusalem because of God's desire. I think we need to recapture that. Instead of having this sort of stoic God or this detached God who sort of thunders down theological treatises, right? that he sort of gives us this sort of thing and then he sort of steps away from us, but not a God who's in, involved in history and is with this woman and is with these people that is, that is saving people. That The God of the universe has a desire for you to know him so much that he's pursuing you this morning through his spirit, by his word. This present moment, God's love is coming for you. So we'll look at three that goes through us. Two prepositions. How about that? God's desire is to be with us and God's desire works through us and then so what? Desire with us, desire through us, so what? The ubiquitous so what? One day I'll stop doing that. I'm, I'm like addicted to it now. I'm sorry. I have so what? <laughs> My students make fun of me all the time. Uh, they roll their eyes when I say so what? But so what? God's desire is to be with you. That's his desire. That's what the Bible's about. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father with the Son, and the Son with the Spirit, and the Son with the Father, and the Father with the Son. God is a withness. God is a relationship within himself. With is God's favorite preposition. That's who he is. And so he creates man in his image and says it's not good for man to not be with someone else. So he creates woman also in his image to also show this picture of with. It's not just the first marriage, it's the first community, it's the first with. God's desire is to create and for us to be with him and with us. So we, the very famous passage from Isaiah 43 that has comforted so many people over the years, countless number of people, when you, pass from the, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the flames, they'll, you'll, if you walk through the flames, you'll not be burned. The rivers shall not overwhelm you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. That is, my very identity is to be with you, just like I am with myself father son and spirit he's seeing this that's the very meaning of the bible it's the very uh, it's the very uh, explanation of who god is father son and holy spirit and we go from isaiah to revelation chapter 21 listen to this god's desire fully met as we see into the future that is certain because god father son and holy spirit his love will accomplish this it can't be thwarted it's invincible Revelation 21, verse three, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And so what happens in Genesis chapter three is we became not with him. See, sin makes us un-with him. Brian Fickert's great book, probably a decade old now, When Helping Hurts, he said what happened in the fall was a breakdown of relationships. And he actually says, poverty is a breakdown of relationships. The problem of poverty is a breakdown of a relationship that goes all the way back to Genesis 3. The God who was with us, we pushed his r- relationship away, we rebelled from him, we divorced him, we ran away from him and brought destruction relationally. So our relationship with God was ruptured. Our relationship with ourselves was ruptured. Our relationship with one another was ruptured. Even our relationship with the created world was, was broken. So to understand Scripture, and I think it's really important for us as Christians to go back to the meaning of Scripture, go back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, and to go play ourselves back through what Scripture means. It is a God who is a relationship who wants a relationship with us. And so that's why Jesus is in Samaria. The reason Jesus is in Samaria, Samaria... Which rabbis would go out of, the Israelites would go out of their way not to go through. Why is he in Samaria and the Samaritans and the Jews despise one another? They absolutely hate one another. Why does he go out of his way? As we said last week, it was necessary for him. With. Period. With. That is an M.O. He makes a beeline to Samaria just just like he makes a beeline into your life. It is necessary. He can't imagine not being with us. It is incomprehensible. So God is in Samaria talking to a Samaritan woman. Withness, his desire to be with us is international and diverse. Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham all the way back, you will be the father of many nations, and the nations will be blessed for you. The nations, not just the Jewish people, the nations, multi-ethnic cross-cultural so the god of all heaven and earth in order to make the kingdom cross-cultural goes cross-cosmic he left his father's throne above he goes cross-cosmic he's nothing like us folks and he becomes a first century jew to bring us into his family and his relationship because that is his desire his passion jesus sweats blood for this woman this is his sister this woman who had had to go get water in the middle of the day who no one would talk to God adored her how does it now how are we treating the broken people around us Is it like 1 John chapter 1, verse 3? The same person who wrote this gospel, Jesus' best friend, the one, by the way, John, at the end of the gospel, before Jesus was, was crucified, the Last Supper, he actually says he reclined his head against Jesus. He was leaning back. He was probably the youngest disciple. Some people even think maybe late teens or early 20s. He was the youngest disciple, and Jesus was like his big brother. And he was leaning his head, and Brennan Manning Says he could hear the heartbeat of God. And listen to what he says in 1 John, verse 3. We proclaim this message to you so that you may have fellowship with us. Koinonia. Fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. John knew exactly what Jesus was all about. So, what does that mean for us? The healing of the nations, that means Jew and Gentile and Nigerian and Japanese and Swede and Chilean. And on and on and on. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every single one made by God and God is thrilled with diversity because he is diversity and unity. He is God one in three. So guess what? That's the only way our desire for diversity and cross-cultural ministry can come. It has to go right to the very heart of God. It has to start with God's heart. Just imagine what he's doing, what he's creating. All the colors and the sounds and the smells and every culture of the earth. And what causes division and what causes xenophobia and what causes Racism. Is, what God is doing is he's healing the nations in Revelation 22 with the leaves of the tree of life to bring us all back together. That's what he's doing. God was split in two to do it. Do you see, can you feel it? Jesus said that he's seeking worshipers. He's literally saying to them that he's seeking you out to go and Harvest. To harvest this. He said, look, the, the fields are white for the harvest. Bringing those sheaths in. And he says, this woman, this woman is part of the harvest. He's seeking worshipers. He's seeking people who have been transformed by the gospel. He's seeking people to be joyful about Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is uh, watching Ken Burns' documentary on country music a couple years ago. It's amazing. Listen to what Marty Stewart said, amazing musician and also country music historian. He says, it was a badge of honor in the old days to bring your culture to the table in country music. He said, that's why Bob Wills and his guys brought us Western music. And Hank Williams brought the South South from him with honky tonks. And Johnny Cash brought the black dirt land of Arkansas. And Bill Monroe brought music out of Kentucky and bluegrass music. Willie Nelson brought his poetry from Texas and Patsy Cline brought us heartache from Virginia. Y'all, our town, our place is made out of that kind of diversity. You know what that is? It's a preview of the kingdom. I care what you think about country music. That's a preview, y'all. That's a preview of what God's doing. Do you know that the banjo, banjo, which is probably seen as the most redneck instrument in the world, is from Africa. Do you know that? Banjo is an African instrument. What is God doing? No, seriously, that's part of the kingdom. We're getting little glimpses of it. We're getting little previews of what God's doing and all the music and all the people and all the ways we're gonna do this. Jesus is thrilled by this. It was so much that he let himself be killed for it. God died for this with. Get little previews with food. You know what Viet Cajun food is? I haven't had it, but I want it. It's in Houston. So many Vietnamese immigrants live in Houston, and so many Cajuns from South Louisiana live in Houston, and they produced Viet Cajun food. You can get crawfish with Vietnamese spices. Yes, please. So here's the thing. That's delicious, and that's the kingdom. That's with, and it's pulsing through the heart of God. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And one day, there will be no more crying and there will be no more pain. And we'll all be together and we'll stop fighting with each other. And we'll stop being suspicious. And we'll stop committing a suicide with each other. And we'll stop judging one another because we'll be with. And here we have it in this passage. And the disciples are going, What are you doing? Amen. And here's what's amazing the disciples are us. The disciples are going, What are you doing? are you talking like but they were afraid even like why are you talking to her you know the church has always been slow to get this but we need to wake up that's what he's saying wake up look at this field look what i'm doing so that's that's his desire is to be with us but it's but next we see his desire is to work through us to work through us here's what happens she leaves her water jar now that's just a historical fact that actually happened That's something that you wouldn't include if you were writing like a legend or a myth or things like this all over the gospel. Like she left her water jar. That really, John said she left it. He noticed that. But I want you to think, why do you think she left it? Didn't need it. Couldn't think about anything else. When something so wonderful and so great, she just left her water jar. That's not only actually happened, it's also a symbol that she's a new person. She's found the living water. Why? Because his love and his gospel and his very person went straight to her core. Straight to the deepest place in her life. She says to, to her people, he told me everything I ever did. He told me everything I ever did. We just get a little snippet. He told me everything I ever did. Swiss psychologist of the mid-20th century, Paul Ternier says nothing keeps it, makes us lonelier than our secrets. Nothing makes us lonelier than our secrets. Jesus knew that. Told me everything I ever did. And so what happens is to go to that place of guilt that we've shoved down so much, so much, and our consciences are so burdened and so guilty, and that we're just sort of managing the guilt and shame. Just pushed down in so many secrets and so many things, so much shame, so much stuff. Jesus goes right to that and frees us. Absolutely liberates us. John chapter 4, his very first sermon was from the book of Isaiah, and he says, I've come to set the captives free. And that's exactly what he's doing in this passage in very real, specific ways. He tells you everything you ever did and then says, You're forgiven. You ever did. And in the face of everything you ever did, love, not condemnation. John chapter three, the son of man did not come into the world to condemn the world. The son of man came into the world to save the world. I'm in a room this size. There's some secrets on steroid in here. And there's some, there's some serious, I mean, come on. And Jesus could come up to you and say, I got you beat. I got you beat. My love gets the last word on you. What? In the face of every, see, that's what it feels like for the gospel to go to your heart. In the face of everything, in face of all the debts and all the Friday night regrets, they all fade like the fog in the summer sun when Jesus shows up. No more doom, no more wrath, no more condemnation. Here's the thing, right then, even though you still feel it, even though in yourself you're still guilty, you are guilty and not guilty. That's what justification is. Jesus Christ, it is, y'all, it is outrageous. You are guilty in yourself because you've done jacked up things and you are as perfectly righteous as the second person of the Trinity. That, my friends, is good news, all caps. That's what that is. And so, like, we're holding it, and, like, we want to sort of do it. Like, it's a paradox. Yep, call it something else. It's definitely that, too. Beekner, Frederick Beekner said, the gospel's not too good to be true. It's too good to not be true. There's no way we're making up anything that's this good. No way. We make up religions. We make up, like, rules and, and ways that you don't just say You don't just show up. You know what this is? This is Jesus did not give her a pep talk. He adopted her. Don't think about the difference between a pep talk and adoption. A pep talk's like, "Come on, you can do this. Stop stop sleeping around." Just say you can say, "Come on, you can do this. You've got it within you to stop sleeping around, to stop lusting, to stop giving yourself in all these toxic relationships. You can do this. Come on, you can do this. Y'all read the books. Those books sell." You know what I'm saying? Those books sell. You got this, right? Jesus says, boy, you don't got this, right? (laughs) Right? That's what he's saying. He said, I'm the Messiah. Yep. I'm the Messiah. Me. I've come to set you free. I thought about Peter Gabriel's old song, Salisbury Hill, grab your things i've come to take you home going home so here she is this woman who knows why she shows up and in that moment she's freed and so what does that mean for us it means that we become rooted in the love of god eternally which then enables us to run to run and our guilt is what's keeping you from loving people our guilt and our shame, the heaviness of that keeps us away from people. It keeps us away from the world and it keeps us away from evangelism. It keeps us away from, it keeps us away from encountering people. It keeps us away from worship. But if Jesus says, you're mine, but you don't know about this, he goes, I know everything. So what is evangelism? Before we go to our last point, it flows, what does it mean to flow outward and through us? Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She's already having testimony. How dare she? She's never even been to seminary. She's already telling people about Jesus. She just showed up and said, he told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, verse 40, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. We've heard for ourselves. And we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. Y'all, here's what evangelism is. Evangelism is telling people that Jesus is the savior of the world. Y'all, Christianity is that. So here's what that means. You start with that, and then you move on to the behavior. But this is what matters. We're not converting people into a political party. We are not trying to make people nice. Bore me to tears. Go, be a, go, do a, go start your own, move to California, start your own religion, as we'd say in Arkansas. <laughs> Give me a break. We're trying to make people nice and appro- all that stuff. You're going to be transformed. You meet someone like this. Over time, Jesus is going to change you. But this is what matters. We're not here to make people nice. We're not maybe here to primarily to make people more moral. We're not trying to get people on a political trip. We're not trying to see what your view is on a certain hot, that's all of those things. What matters is, do you believe Jesus is risen and is the king of all? And if someone believes that, that's, that is our message. And if someone believes that, then we say, well, how does he, who does he, does he care who I sleep with? How does he want me to use my money? Because he's the king of the world. And if he's the king of the world, then he gets to say whatever he wants to about your body and your money, right? But I think so often we start with the money and with the body. We start with this, like, what's your view on this? I'll be a Christian if I'll do this and do this and do this. It's like, uh-oh, do you believe Jesus is alive? No, I don't. Well, then why are we having this conversation? All that matters is the resurrection. And that is a supernatural work. And God wants to, he wants everyone. He has a heart for people to know him. split him in two. And so where we have to start is a resurrection. You don't start with these other things. And so like the reason this is so, I'm so passionate about this is because this is my ministry at Vanderbilt University. My ministry is like, I believe Jesus Christ, the man who lived in the first century, is actually God. He was crucified, dead, and buried. He's raised, and he's ascended, and he's the king of the universe. And I actually believe that. Now, like that's outrageous. I was like, totally is. But because he is, I want to live for him and his kingdom because he is God. And so my life is growing in increasing conformity with him. But if you start with the culture's talking points, you've already lost. And you know the one. But all You name it. You name the hot topic. If you say, what's your view of this? And what's your view of this? You're just going to go round and round in circles. That is a political conversation. A Christian conversation, a true Christian conversation is, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord, just like these people. And then their lives are changed. We have to recapture that because we're confusing the heck out of people. So what? Verse 31, meanwhile the disciples are urging him, Rabbi, eat. He said, I have food that you don't even know about. The disciples said, I love the disciples. Has anyone brought him something to eat? Did he have a sandwich? I just. (laughs) Jesus said, my food, my food is to talk to this woman. It's like eating to me. My food is to see people come to know Jesus. My food. And he's saying it in a way that it's even physically satisfying. There's something even like, there's, there's such a deep contentment that he finds in the will of God, because God loves people so much, it so simplifies Jesus. Because he knew how wonderful, Jesus knew how wonderful this plan was. He knew how worth it it was. And so he's saying, I'm doing, literally talking to this woman, it was like he had eaten a meal. That's what he's saying, my food. He's not being clever. Have you ever done something that was so life-giving and so wonderful you forgot to eat? ever done that? I have. Like, wait, I didn't eat? I think that's what Jesus is saying here. There's a contentment There's a contentment that that he has in his his submission to God's will. A focus that that he gives just to to show up every day. And so what is that will? So here's really, really, let me make it really practical. I've been maybe even too simple. I've been called that. I'll I'll take it. What What is God's will for your life? Think about that. What is God's will for my life? I talk to students all the time. What's God's will for my life? Like I have a crystal ball, right? Like a pastor's, like, what's God's will? Like, oh, let me check. Can you give me an hour or so and I'll try to discern it? And you know what it is? It's what Henry Nouwen said It's to let God love you and then love other people with that same love. Sorry. No, no. That is literally the will of God for you is to be loved. And then to love people with that same love. That's all Jesus is doing. When Jesus heard his father say at the baptism, this is my beloved son. I'm very pleased with him. Jesus loved hearing his father say that about him because that was his identity. And with that love, he loved the world. So today, in the smallest, most mundane and embarrassingly simple way, Live in the love of God and if you don't feel and don't believe that God loves you ask him you love me and the more that we live in the love of God and the more that we move out with that same love that's the will of God in your life that looks like a billion different things the applications are too many to name that you begin to love things in practical ways sometimes it means pointing out someone's sin Sometimes it means showing someone a blind spot in their life and calling something out. Sometimes love looks like that. Sometimes love just looks like being silent, being still with someone, sitting with someone as their life is falling apart. But God's will for you, the will that his desire for you is for you to know how much he loves you. You know, that's really what it is. And then it's to show up in the lives of other people and love people with that same love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity, the privilege of getting to talk about Jesus. Lord, would you give us that kind of focus? That it would actually be like bread to us? That we would be so nourished and so Content and your love so rooted in you, that we would be able to move out of the lives of other people? Lord, so many of us feel condemned, and we hear the voice of condemnation, sometimes really loud and sometimes just pestering us. Lord, would you silence it with the blood of Christ? Would you set us free from our past? Would you set us free from a fear of future? so that we could be present in the lives of other people and love them, that you would show up and love people through us. We know that's your will and your desire. And come, Lord Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.